All right, welcome to the Reformation Over Revival podcast. This is our Romans study, journey through the book of Romans. Tonight we're on, today, tonight. I'm recording this at night, so it's night for me. It may be whatever time for you. We're on Romans chapter three. Uh, I'm going to do this one a little bit different. Uh, instead of making a bunch of notes, um, I'm just going to read, kind of read a little bit through, and then we're going to talk about it as we go. Um, but yeah, so here we go. Romans chapter three. All right. So, um, I am loving Romans. It's my favorite, 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 favorite. Um, so if you have already listened to the intro and one and two, you know why it's my favorite. I think I talked about that a little bit in the intro. Um, but I do want you to go back if you haven't yet listened to the intro, listen to one, listen to two. I think it'll be very beneficial for you um, as we kind of move forward in this study here. So um, I'm going to read actually uh, Romans 3 and we're going to kind of stop at different points and talk about different things. And um, kind of go through it this way tonight. That might not be how I continue doing it, um, but I'm going to do that for this one for sure. So here we go. So uh, starting in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, What advantage then has the Jew, or what is the profit of circumcision? So remember, we just exited chapter 2, talking about circumcision and true circumcision, not being this outward expression, but being an inward attitude and expression of the heart. So that's what we're coming out of. It's always important when you're studying the word, when you're reading the word. Um, obviously, the way I'm recording this and doing it, we're doing a chapter at a time. But the Bible was not written in chapters. It was written as one continual letter uh, as these individual books were written. And so, um, especially in the New Testament, particularly as letters, um, the epistles. But I want you to remember always um, what you're coming out of as you enter into something. So, you know, the, the different um, markers of like mine for Romans 3 says God's judgment defended. So like that, that was not there in the original. So remember that as you read. And um, sometimes it's really helpful to just read through like, you know, if you're going to read, if you're going to start reading in Romans chapter 3, um, then start in Romans 2. 25, you know what I'm saying? And kind of give yourself some perspective of what you're going into. Now, obviously with the study, we just came out of two. If you want to do it where you listen to two and three back to back and you read all the way through, that's cool as well. But right now he's talking, we just came out of um, circumcision, not just being this outward thing, but being something inward that happens in the heart, happens in the spirit. And so I want to remember that as we're moving forward. So he says, again, chapter three, verse one, what advantage then has the Jew or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. He's talking about the old covenant, the prophets, the, the, um, all of the relationship and the prophetic word and the, uh, life that was given to the, uh, Jewish people, the Jewish nation, Israel as a nation. And he's, he's referring to that saying, look, you were the original ones God entrusted. So there is benefit to being Jew um, because you've been carrying this gift, this proclamation that the king is coming, that Christ is coming. You've been carrying that since, um, you know, the, since Abraham. So there is benefit. Um, but then he moves into this. He says, 
Um, For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar. As it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. Certainly not. For then, how will God judge the world? Verse 7, For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do evil that good may come, as we are slanderously reported and as some affirm that we say? Their condemnation is just. So he's asking, he's like, okay, so if I can sin, if I can do wrong, and God can work my wrong for good, then how on earth can he still judge me for being wrong, even though he used it for good? This is a very important, important, I'm making up words. This is a very important thing for us to focus on and look at here is that just because God works your junk out for his purpose doesn't make your junk okay. I think there's a lot of ministers, a lot of pastors, a lot of teachers and leaders, a lot of just believers who get jacked up right here. And we look at it and we I've been guilty of this. It's easy to sit in a place where you go, well, God's still using me. So how can this be wrong? God's still using me. How is this a problem? God's still using me. So why is this? And and, and the reality of it is God spoke through a donkey to wake up a prophet. And so you may be the donkey that God's using. So don't, don't think that just because it's working out for the good of the kingdom, that that means you're doing everything you're supposed to be doing. Definitely don't intentionally do something you know you shouldn't do because you know that God has the ability to still work it out for your good. All right, so um, moving on to verse nine, what then, are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they're all under sin. So Paul is establishing here the reality that every single individual, regardless of your heritage, you are under sin before Christ. You have sinned. If you don't know him, you will continue to sin. If you subscribe to the watered-down garbage gospel that the modern church teaches, you'll still think you're living in and have to keep sinning. This is a very real thing. The sin nature is real. My flesh is it, it is real. It's a real thing. This is not some fairy tale, right? Anyone who has ever breathed knows the reality that sin is real. Even those who don't know Christ know the reality that my flesh and its desires are real, right? We learned um, in the beginning of Romans that the law is written on our hearts. So even when we don't know Christ, we still know right and wrong in a general sense. 
And so we find even when we don't know Christ and we don't know that we are choosing something other than Christ, we still know that we have this weird desire to do things that inherently please me. I still have this desire to please myself even before I realize that I'm choosing myself over Christ I'm still going to have this natural inclination because I am under sin. I'm talking about pre-born again, pre-conversion, pre-new life in Christ. I will have this old nature because why? We have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. All right, verse 10, as it is written. Now, before I go into this, I want to set out what's about to happen. Paul's about to give us the outline through verses 10 through 18 about just how bad we are, just what it means to be all under sin. So he says you're all under sin. Then he's about to tell you what it means to be under sin because he's saying um, what he's drawing the comparison of here. They are all under sin. Then he says, as it is written. So he's saying our being under sin is compared to what is written Um, And then in verse, so that's uh, 10 through 18, you're looking at uh, him quoting Psalm 14, 1 through 3, 53, 1 through 3, Ecclesiastes 7, 20, Psalms 5, 9, Psalms 43, Psalms 10, 7, Isaiah 59, 7, and 8, and then Psalm 36, 1. So he's quoting the Old Testament describing the uh, depravity of man. Okay, so here we go. As it is written, verse 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seek after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. Verse 18 is so key here. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, something that's interesting is this is the state of man pre-new birth, pre-resurrection, okay? This is the state of man who is dead in sin, not dead to sin. We'll find the difference and distinction in that as we move forward in Romans. But this is the state of man. And what Paul's doing that is so beautiful is he is laying out just how jacked up we are so he can then lay out what we have been delivered from. He's not just telling you how jacked up you are so that you know how jacked up you are. He's telling you how jacked up you were how jacked up you are apart from Christ so that you can now see the beauty of life in Christ. 
It's, 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 it's just remarkable if we really pay attention to what he's doing, that he's showing just how bad things are so then he can show you how beautiful it is. Uh, 19 says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now, this is something to look forward to that Paul really gets into in Romans chapter seven. Um, I'm not saying go ahead and read that. I'm saying when we get to seven, we'll remember back to this point. But one thing that Paul talks about is how the danger of, and, and again, remember who Paul's writing to. He's writing to the Jews being reintroduced into the Roman church, attempting to try to hold these Gentiles who have been living under grace, under the new covenant, to the old adherences of the law. And what Paul is saying is, look, the law does not produce righteousness in you. A matter of fact, you don't even know it's wrong to covet. You don't even know it's wrong to lust. You don't even know it's wrong to lie necessarily without the law. The law is what tells you, look, you do this thing, it's evil. Before that, we can just do those things. We might feel a little bad about them, but we don't know why. We don't have any re- we don't have any grounds for our conviction. We just know it doesn't feel right. When the law comes into play, we become told God says don't do this. And so then according to James, his definition of sin, knowing to do good and not doing it, the law introduced into our life now brings the reality and the possibility for sin into our life. Because when God says, do this, and I choose the opposite, now I've sinned. So, but Paul is showing the Jews here, look, just living by the law alone, having the law as your compass of life does nothing but produce in you the understanding of sin and bring sin to life in your body. All right, going into verse 21. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. This is important terminology and wording for us to pay attention to. The word believe is the word pisteu. That might be a horrible pronunciation, but the best that I can gather, that's how you say it, pisteu. And it is a similar word, has the same root as the word faith, which is pistis. And the word believe means to have faith in. So when you see the word believe, belief in the Bible is an application of faith. So when it says um, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who have faith in Jesus Christ is pretty much what it's saying. Now, faith, faith is a very interesting word and I in scripture, and I'll, I'll, I say this a lot when I'm preaching. So if you go to a, the church that I teach at, go to Christ Walk Church, Um, or you've heard me teach before, you've probably heard me talk about this. But faith, the reason it's interesting to me is because there is both a literal definition that the word that's used, pistis, 
um, the Greek word that it has, but there's also, it, faith is one of the only words other than love, as far as I'm aware of, and I may be wrong, but that we are given a literal scriptural definition. So we're not just moving off of a literary definition, we're also moving off of a scripturally defined definition. Okay, so when it comes to love, which is a little bit off topic, we know that we have um, passages like 1 Corinthians 13 that gives us definitions of what love is, okay? Similarly, with Romans, we have Hebrews. No, not with Romans. With faith, we have Hebrews. So the word faith is defined in Hebrews as being the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not yet seen. That's faith. So the question we have to ask in looking at what faith is and the reason faith is important is because belief means to have faith then. So if I want to know how to know if I believe, I need to know if I have faith Also, looking at verse 22, it says, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus. So faith is still applicable to this conversation, even without the word believe, because I have faith and belief existing in the same sentence here. So faith being the substance of things hoped for. That word substance also in some, according to some scholars, has action behind it. So instead of just being the word uh, substance, it potentially could be purely translated as substantiation or giving substance to. So the substance of things hoped for. Well, what are we hoping for as believers? Well, there's a couple of things. We have Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. I'm hoping for the image of Christ to be born in me so that the glory of God shines through me, preaching the gospel efficiently through the way that I live. I'm hoping for resurrected life, newness of life. I'm hoping for the image of Christ to be born through my life. Okay, so now the substantiation, the substance of things hoped for means that faith in application would be me living a life that bears the image of Christ. So if I have faith in Christ and I believe in Christ, then everything Christ taught, I give weight and value to in a manner that which, if Jesus said it, I believe it. And scripturally, if it can be said about Jesus, I believe it. Now, this is very important, the foundation that Paul is laying here, because as we get into Romans 6 through 10, into 12, this is going to be pivotal, key, fundamental information for us to have. I'm probably going to go come back to this definition of faith as well as we move on because it's, it's, it is fundamental to us understanding and correcting and reforming some of our thought um, and some of our application and action when it comes to scripture. So if it's the, subs- the substance or substantiation of things hoped for, I just did my best to establish in a brief moment what we're hoping for. And then it's the evidence of things not yet seen. Okay, well, what's not yet been seen? Well, what's not yet been seen is me perfect. Okay, I'm still not perfect. I am living a life being perfected, right? I'm not perfect. I still have fault. And I'm living every day praying that the Lord will convict and correct those faults in me and then doing my best to apply the convictions that he's given me with the scripture and the truth that I understand from the word so that I can begin to become perfect as he is perfect. But I'm not yet perfect. 
Okay, so if it's the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not yet seen, then my faith is me giving substance to the resurrection of Christ in my life. And it's also me giving evidence to the reality that what Jesus taught is true. Though it hasn't been been seen in its fullness yet, there is evidence that it will be seen in its fullness because it's seen in partial pieces in me now. So I'm living a life of these partially perfected moments in my life. I am being perfected, and that is the evidence to those around me that I will be perfected, okay? This is the life of faith. This is the life of placing my faith and hope in Jesus. And now where we've got off is we just think faith means this weird, airy, breathy, non-definitive word that we can throw around for whatever the heck reason we want, and that's just not the case. So it's this life that I'm living as unto God that is the faith that I have in Christ that is how I lay hold of the newness of life that he's given me. That was a heck of a lot that I just said about verse 22. Okay, so it says, for there is no difference. Verse 23, this is probably one of the most popular verses everybody knows. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through what? Through faith. Why? To demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that his that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Again, there's that beautiful word, faith. Now, I'm going to go back up to Romans 3.23 because one of the things that when the Lord started convicting my life and changing me from the inside out through Romans, it started with 3.23. And it started with the fact that I had always used Romans 3.23 as a scapegoat for my sin life. And I had always used Romans 3.23 as the reason why it was okay for me to continue in the life that I lived in because everybody's a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm no different than anybody else. And this is how I'm going to live. This I'm just stuck in this. That's the mode of thinking I was trapped in. That's the mode of thinking that pastors will teach from the pulpit. That's wrong. One of the first things the Lord used to convict me, the Holy Spirit just devastated me with, and I mean that in a positive sense, if that's possible, is that Romans 3.23, pay attention to the tense of the word, okay? When you're studying scripture, two things are important. You have to understand the language that it was written in, so I highly recommend a Strong's Concordance. I have a Strong's Concordance app that is like amazing. I think it's like maybe like five bucks or 15 bucks or something like that. But I I use it all the time. I I highly recommend it. Um, But also there are Strong's Concordances. That's a book you can have. It's a little bit harder to operate than the app is. So if you're just getting into studying the word, I really recommend the app. It's super user-friendly. But anyways, understand the language it was written in. So whether that's Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, whatever it is. But also understanding the language you're reading it in. Okay, because if you don't understand the language you're reading it in, you're just like 
why are you reading it? <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I'm not saying have some massive command of the English language like you're some professor, but I am saying pay attention to tense, right? So um, Romans 3.23 says this, for all have sinned. What's that? That's past tense. All right, And that's true of all of us. At the moment that we meet Jesus, one statement that is undoubtedly true about us is that we have sinned. Okay, Now, once we meet Jesus, one statement that is not, not true about us is that we have to sin or that we have to keep on sinning or that we will sin. Okay, that does not have to be true. It's only true because we've taught a false gospel that makes it true, and we're not willing to lay claim to the reality of the gospel. Okay, again, a little bit of uh, support for this. I'm going to pull pull out the old First John here, um, where it says, "Let's see." Let's, let's just go to 1 John 1, 5. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Um, there's one more I'm looking for, and here we go. Chapter 3, verse 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you who practices righteousness. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. And he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. For his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Now, that's 1 John 3, 4 through 9. And that, my friends, is what we would call direct contradiction to what most of us have heard, have learned, and have been taught concerning our sin life in the modern church. So, I'll say it again. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned. doesn't say for all have to sin. Because the reality of the resurrected life is that I am no longer the one who makes my decisions. I am no longer the one. Now, I still have to choose Jesus. I'm not saying I'm not having to choose Jesus. But my sin nature is not the nature that I now have taken on. I have taken on the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. As we'll read a little bit later on. So these are the things I'm thinking about as we as we move forward here. Okay, that was just a another little point on that. Um, and now finishing up here, uh, Romans four or sorry, Romans three twenty seven. Where is boasting then? 
Is it excluded? By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Let me tell you what kind of good news that is for us, or for me at least. I'm not a Jew. It is a beautiful thing to read that he is also the God of the Gentiles. Since there is, verse 30, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Now, a beautiful place to end because the reality of it is that trying to be righteous by fulfilling the law alone is impossible. But when we walk with Jesus in purity and sincere hearts, devotion to him, we will fulfill the law, not because we're striving and trying to, but because as we're being perfected and as the image of Christ is being born into us, And as it is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives within us, the law will be satisfied by the life that we live as unto God. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. I love this book. I love this chapter. I love what God's doing and what he's teaching me. I hope you love what he's teaching you. I hope you're pressing in, praying and seeking his face. Um, I will check you out in the next episode as we move into Romans chapter 4. Um, hope you have a an awesome whatever day, evening, whenever you're listening to this. And uh, just stay committed to him, committed to his word, and uh, give everything up for Jesus. Give it all to Jesus and watch what he does. See ya.